in scripture uh, can be found in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5, and 26. It can be found in your pew Bibles on New Testament pages 175 and 176, if you'd like to follow along. Pursue love and strife for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but to God. For no one, nobody understands them, since they are speaking mysteries of the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interrupts, so that the church may be built up. What should be done then, my friends? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. We have been walking through a series called Being the Church in the 21st Century. I just wanna remind us of where we've been. Uh, We started out talking about the fact that Jesus is Lord and that that's tough in a society where we wanna be Lord of our lives. We wanna make all the decisions. We wanna be the ones with power and control. And what is it to invite people into a community that that is seeking to serve and to submit to, to a greater authority than you? And so we talked about no matter what service or activities or whatever we do, we have the same Lord as Lord of all. And then we went the next week to talk about the fact that everyone belongs. Doesn't matter in the metaphor that Paul uses, if you're an ear or a hand or an eye or a foot, everyone has a place in the body of Christ, in the church, in the community. And uh, that doesn't require us to kind of conform, like you can only be an ear, um, but that everybody is actually equally able to be a part of the church. And then we talked about the fact that we are called to be contributors and not consumers, that we can kind of become spiritual gluttons who just consume everything, but, but we are called to contribute, to do, to be a part of what God is doing in this world. And last week we talked about communicating, that we need to speak so that even the unbeliever, even the outsider knows what's going on. I liked that Paul last week talk, said, they're gonna say, what on earth are you talking about? Are they crazy? Um, but that our words matter, and the way that we speak to people matters. And so this week, we're going to close out our series by looking at what are you building? And I'm using some language from the text, but what's our goal? Like, what's the thing we are trying to do as a church community? What's that target? What's that, that end point we're, we're, we're striving towards? So what are, what are we building as a community? Now, I want to start by talking about what we're tempted to build uh, we're tempted to build up our own stuff, our own things. And so uh, it's, it's easy when we use especially the language of building, that we think about our building, and that our purpose as a church is to make sure that you know, our steeples stay as wide as can be, or, or you know, our things look nice, and that our stuff all works. Um, and we want those things to happen, but not for their own sake, not just because that's what we are wanting to do, is just have the right looking space. But we want to be doing ministry with other people and and serving God. 
but sometimes we're, we're just tempted to only care about our things. And I'm reminded about, um, the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke have stories about Jesus walking around the temple in his last week. And the scene that you see is that this, this woman who has nothing gives her last coin to the temple. And you're tempted to think, oh, isn't that great? She gave everything. But Jesus is really like, how dare the temple? You've taken everything from the poor, the widows, the orphans. You know, you should be supporting them, not draining them. And then he turns and says, and the, the disciples are talking about, look at how beautiful this temple is. And he's like, not a single stone is going to be left. They put all of their, their the beauty of that situation, the hopes, the, the goodness, all in this building, which is impressive, but wasn't what mattered most. The people that were walking in that complex mattered more than the building itself, and they got distracted. Not, not one stone will be left. But hopefully when we build up our stuff, we think about who is it trying to minister to? What is having a space that's uh, clean helpful to ministry for? Like, how is that helping us? Uh, not just the goal is the stuff. There's a, another temptation besides just wanting to build up our stuff, and that's wanting to build up ourselves. You think, well, that should be a good goal, right? But when we only want to build up ourselves, we miss the invitation that God has for us. I'm going to reread what Paul said here in the middle chunk of that passage. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. That seems good, right? Yeah, I'm praying. I'm speaking to God. For nobody understands them since they are speaking the, ministry, the mysteries of the Spirit. But on the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy, who speak to others, who encourage others, those people build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So Paul has a principle here. It's not about building yourself up. And when we do that, we go down a path that ends up being very self-interested and suddenly not looking anything like the God who loves all. But when we try to build others up, we go down a different path of love and of selflessness. And I love that Paul is saying it's not just enough to do only the private stuff of just you and God. It's good to do the private stuff. It's good to pray. It's good to read scripture. It's good to care about your relationship with God, you and, you and God. But that's only one part of our spiritual faith. And Paul is reminding us that we are called to be a community. We are called to build up other people. And we struggle with that in this world because people are like, well, you know, I can listen to a sermon online or, you know, I can just stay home. I don't really need a church community because I've got what I need. But you're not a part of a community. You're not building other people up. You're not doing this whole loving your neighbor thing as well as, as you could. Um, and that's not to say you can't love your neighbors apart from in the church, but you're missing out on a beautiful thing that is the community, the body of Christ. And so we are called to build up other people, not just ourselves. Now, I, when I think about that building imagery, there's a few things you can do with construction. And I think 
we're often more accustomed to people tearing things down than to building them up. Uh, you know the person in your life or, or, or people in your life, probably more than one, who tear down with criticism that just never stops. And it just cuts the joy out and it just drains the passion and the hope and the love. And no matter what you do, there's always one thing wrong with it and you never can feel like you can satisfy it. But they just criticize and they criticize and they keep cutting down and cutting down. Because there's, we can get into different kinds of criticism. There's a kind of criticism that is seeking the best for someone. There's a kind of criticism and love that is trying to build up. But we often feel the other kind. That's just the criticism that cuts down. Sometimes we, we tear down with, with absence. You know, like I was talking about before of, well, maybe I just won't go. And so we, instead of building others up, we just let them be. And so we lose out on the opportunity to support them, to elevate them, to speak encouragement to them. And then probably most painfully, we also tear down by excluding, by pushing people away, by taking away the opportunity for them to grow and to build, be built up. And so all of those things are construction, but it's a demolition project, and every day is a demo day, and you never get around to construction time. And we know those people in our lives that it's just, it's always demo day. But God and Paul encourages us here, invites us to a building project of building people up, not just ourselves, not just our things, but build people up. And so that everyone is, is built up, is encouraged, is consoled when they are struggling, and that all people might be excited to see each other, because you start to see what that building comes together and you start to see new things and new life and you're excited about what's happening in people's lives. And instead of tearing them down, you're excited for each other and you wanna be around it and you wanna be a part of it. And suddenly it just takes on momentum and people start wanting to build each other up more and more. And so instead of looking for ways to tear down and to demo all of the time, we have to be looking for ways to build up. We need more builders we really don't need more demo workers. The world's got that handled pretty well. But we need more builders. And I love what Paul says in verse 26. What should be done then, my friends? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I love that he's hinting that one thing is you can do some really great things, but not actually for the right purpose, not really for the right motivation. He's saying, hey, when you, when you do those things, when you sing that hymn, when you bring that revelation, do it to build people up. Because you can go through the motions and not actually give it life, not actually care about building up people in the room. And so I think about the difference between longevity and legacy, that sometimes we do things for longevity's sake of, let's just keep it going. Let's just keep the lights on. Let's keep the steeples nice and white. And that doesn't think about the people and the mission and what we're called to do as a church. Whereas legacy, what can I pass on to the next person? To that person, 
I gotta give something on to them. I gotta build them up. I gotta give them an opportunity. I gotta give them, uh, I gotta point them to Christ who can transform. And so are we doing things just to maintain them or are we doing them to build people up, to do some construction projects together? And I think Paul's word here is, is, is a good challenge. Because I think each of us can ask this question of ourselves. Why am I doing what I'm doing? When I am doing something that sounds really great, I'm spending time in prayer, just God and I. But what am I caring about my neighbors, the people next to me? Like, am I praying? Is my heart concerned for them? Is my heart pouring out for those people around me and not just my own situation too? Or when I sing a song and, and I love this song, but am I just singing it because I love the song or am I singing it because I want the community to rally behind the message, to rally behind this experience of God in this moment, to be built up by the song? Why do I do what I do? When I hear a scripture verse, maybe you hear your favorite scripture verse and your heart feels nice and warm, but it actually doesn't change anything in you. You like the words of it, but you don't let it actually transform you and, and go to make a difference in your life. Why are we doing the things that we do? And Paul calls us to something beyond just going through the motions, but to building each other up, to being the church together. And I think a successful church, from the lens of God, from the lens of Paul, is one that doesn't lose sight of why we do what we do, that is always seeking to praise God and to lift each other up instead of tearing each other down. And so, how do we do that more? That's really our challenge, is we have moments where that glimmer happens, where we, where we do lift each other up, but how do we make that the normal? That the culture is, we build each other up. You wanna be here because someone is going to lift you up, someone's gonna encourage you, someone's gonna support you, someone's gonna help you on your way. And one of the things that I loved about our church in Milwaukee uh, was they had a motto, one of their like slogans was uh, making, like their mission was to make disciples who make disciples. So that it wasn't just enough that you were a disciple, but how are you also then pouring into other people to make them disciples? And so one of the things that I love that they try to enact that by was whenever there would be a baptism, which that, that should be one of those markers that we're looking forward to. God is changing people's lives. People are entering into this fresh for the first time. But when they would do baptism, uh, whoever was that person that helped walk with that person into this new life, into this new experience, into this new commitment, would be in the baptismal pool. So uh, Pastor Max would be in there, um, but other people. So it was like their coworker who talked about God off and on randomly or who invited them into some mission opportunity or who invited them to church would be in that baptistry with them because it was helping symbolize to see that people made a difference in everyday life, that people could lift each other up, people could invite them into God's church. And so they were really caring about helping people see that it's not just enough to be a disciple, but it's you're called to make other disciples to invest in other people's lives, to mentor other people. And we sometimes forget, because I think we have an image of Paul like he's the superhero solo guy. 
don't we? Like, oh, like, isn't Paul awesome? He did all this stuff by himself. And we, like, neglect that even 1 Corinthians, someone else is said to be writing this letter to the community as well. <laughs> like, hey, Paul, I'm writing this to the church in Corinth, and also Sosthenes, our brother. Like, someone else is in this community wanting to say these words to the church in Corinth. Uh, and so a lot of Paul's letters start with the fact that he's not the only one wishing these words and sending these words out um, to these communities. And always in the last chapter, he's got a whole lot of other people that he wants to thank, that he wants the community to support, to welcome. And in 1 Corinthians, he lists some names, which, Dan, I left off from you so you didn't have to say these names. <laughs> um, he said he wanted them to, to welcome, to embrace, to thank Timothy and Apollos and Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and Aquila and Prisca. Even though Paul, we like to revere him like he's this solo superhero guy, had a community of supporters, had a community of fellow laborers in the gospel, and was writing to a community of fellow laborers in the gospel, and we need each other. And so just as Paul wasn't alone on his journey, we're not alone on ours. And I was trying to think about who were some of the people that like, I felt were mentors for me, people that helped lift me up along my journey. And it can be little things. It's not always the big, the big names of your life. Um, and I remember, I can't even remember how old I was, but probably like junior high age. And I was pitching a baseball game. Um, I, threw, I threw out my shoulder by pitching a whole lot when I was a kid, warning don't let your kids throw their arms out. Um, but I was, I was playing baseball, and, and it was the last inning, and we down to the last out, and this ball gets hit to the second baseman or somebody like that, and just goes under their glove. And it's like, the game should be over. <laughs> I got to do this myself. I got to keep pitching. I got to strike the guy out, apparently. Um, but after the game, I'm walking to the, to the parking lot, and the umpire comes running out and stops us and says, like, hey, I just want to let you know, you are unflappable. He's like, now, I'm going to explain what that means because I'm not going to assume that you know what that means, but, like, you weren't changing under pressure. Like, you didn't let their errors get to you. You, you. you kept going. And how often do you get your umpire to support you or encourage you to kind of break boundaries of, like, hey, I just want you to know I see something in you. You might not realize. You might be distracted and frustrated by other people around you or something. But, like, if that's the case, it didn't show. You were unflappable. And think about the gift that that person offered to a kid. And I think about um, one of my friends in school, uh, her, her, like from when we were little growing up, uh, her dad uh, took it on himself knowing that I lost my dad of like, hey, can I go take you fishing? Which, I'm sorry, I'm not actually a big fisher, but it was the experience of going and sitting and having a conversation with somebody who takes the time to care about you. And uh, again, more revelation about myself, he invited me to go to a hockey game. I didn't grow up liking hockey, but I went to the hockey game to have a conversation to get to know somebody who was wanting to invest a little bit in me. And I think about um, other people in my life. Uh, I shared our pastor in Milwaukee who was that second week of Bible study. He was like, hey, do you want to lead this? You know, giving you an opportunity, giving you a platform. Um, our pastor in Atlanta who, when she heard my, I had read online about this group that 
wanted to do an election day communion service to help people see that we are united in Christ as opposed to our political divisions. And I, I shared, like, hey, isn't that a cool thing that's going on? And so she ran with it and called and emailed local pastors and made them get in the room together. And instead of leading that, said, hey, do you want to help represent us and lead that service for us? Someone who could have taken the opportunity to build themselves up, but was looking for the opportunity to give somebody else the opportunity, to let them have a chance. And there are so many people in my life, so many people in, in your lives, who have chosen to invest in you, to support you, to mentor you. And so what else should we do then to mentor others? Build each other up. Give other people platforms. And I think about all of the excuses that we could make for not mentoring someone, for not building somebody up. Um, but maybe you were struck like I was this week on the news. Um, there was that court case that was going on with Amber Geiger, um, the, police officer, the former police officer in, in Dallas, who shot and killed, um, who shot and killed Botham Jean, um, a, I think a 26-year-old African-American male, in his apartment. She thought he, she was in her own apartment. And they both understandably, so to speak, were confused. And then her response was to take out her gun and to shoot him twice. And that was an awful situation. It was an awful moment. There's a lot of grieving people, still grieving because they lost someone uh, who was a hopeful, joyful person someone who sang at his church and, and was a minister to so many people. But in the midst of that, um, the, the jury just recently gave a guilty verdict to her for murder and sentenced her to 10 years, and there was some discussion about whether 10 years was enough or not and, and all of that. But in the midst of that, Botham's brother, Brant, who's 18 years old, went and spoke from the witness stand, and, and maybe some of you have heard his testimony. But if you could just put yourself in that place of what on earth would you say in, in an intimidating space, in front of a judge, in a courtroom, in front of your family who's grieving, in front of the person who murdered your brother. And here's what he said. I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I personally want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible. You turn to the judge. But, but can I give her a hug, please? Please. And then for about 50 seconds, he went and embraced her. And you can kind of see the, like, the, the, the feeling of it of like his embrace to her and then like her holding on to him for that time. And he explained what he, he was 
meaning to do later because it was tough for some people, especially in the family as they're grieving the loss of, of, of someone so close. But he said, I needed, I needed her to know that I meant it, that I forgave her, that I wanted the best for her, and I didn't think the words would make it through. And in some interviews he talks about, he's like, I don't know if at some point she might try to kill herself or what she might deal with the, the grief of what happened with. And so I just wanted to show her that I did want the best for her, and I thought a hug would do that. And so in the midst of all of that struggle, all of that grief, all of those questions, he had the ability to care for the best for somebody else when nobody would have at all faulted him for wanting the absolute worst for her. And him wanting the best for her and him hugging her doesn't fix the problems. Um, It came out last night that one of the witnesses that was next door neighbors to this man was shot and killed just yesterday. Pain and grief continue. But what a beautiful image it is to see that you can build somebody up even when the world would never imagine that that was possible. And we are called to a radical building up, to loving each other, to supporting each other, to encouraging each other, even our neighbors, even our enemies. And that's what Paul invites us to as a church, is to be people who build each other up. Because it's not about building ourselves up. We miss the fullness of God's community. It's not about building up our stuff. It's not about keeping the lights on. We miss the vibrancy of the people walking in our midst. It's about building others up. And so, whether that person's in this room or not, I hope that you find that person or you're looking for that person in your life that you can build up, that you can mentor, that you can support, that you can encourage, because those, there are people in your life that did that for you, and we're called to pass that on. And so today, let's be builders, not demo workers. And hear the words of Jesus from the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. What are you building up today? Who are you building up today? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I know it's true of me and I know it's true of others in this room. Lord, I, I ask your forgiveness when I have neglected to build up my brothers and sisters, my neighbors. Lord, we ask for forgiveness when we've torn them down instead of building them up. Lord, I just ask that your spirit would move in the midst of this, of this space, of this gathering of people, and that you would set our hearts on fire for you and for each other, that you would put in our heart a passion to build each other up, to care, um, to pray for, to support, to encourage each other, Lord. Lord, thank you that even when we are at our lowest, that you have built us up in Christ, Lord, let us respond in kind. It's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.
In just a moment, um, Dan's gonna lead us in the reading of the church covenant, which I wanna just explain a little bit about the Lord's Supper that we're about to take. Um, one thing is, uh, the church covenant is on a hymnal. So if you open the hymnal front cover, you'll see it there. And I did some digging and I saw something, I think it's the 1970s, was the origin of that statement that's on that hymnal. Um, and so if you're familiar with it, if you're used to saying it, maybe you just also think about what it's calling you to in the midst of saying those words, that it's not just the ritual of saying it, but who is it calling me to love, to support? How is it calling me to praise God? If that statement is new to you and you just need to sit and listen and hear it, you are welcome to just sit and listen and hear it. Uh, if you're having a rough day and you appreciate that the plural we language might not mean that I personally am doing great at it right now, but I can say we think this, we believe this, we pray for this, you can join that way too. Um, but no matter what, uh, after we, we do the church covenant, um, Christ invites all to his table. All who wish to follow after him are welcome. So please uh, partake in our, in our communion with us um, regardless of, of wherever you're at this morning <laughs> in, in our statements, uh, in your personal life. Um, God's invitation is to you. Um, but again, not just for your sake, but then to turn that around and lift others up as well. So, Dan, if you'd lead us with our next piece. Please join me with the uh, Church Covenant. We, the members of the First Baptist Church of Jackson, Michigan, experiencing the grace of God the Father, accepting Jesus Christ the Son as Savior and Lord, relying on the guidance of the Spirit, and believing the Holy Scriptures to be a rule of faith and practice, joyfully confident to seek a deeper relationship with God through prayer, Bible study, personal growth, and our support of each other, to provide for growth and discipleship through a comprehensive program of Christian education, to announce and to realize God's free acceptance of us by being ourselves and accepting and affirming fellowship to develop loving relationships with other individuals, classes, wraiths, faiths, and nations, aware that our neighbors are also God's children, to involve our lives in our church and the needs of our community, issues of the world, and to participate actively in the worship and ministry of the church by total commitment of what we are and to have to God in Christ. In just a moment, um, after I talk through the tradition that was handed down to us, uh, we're gonna pass out uh, the bread. And if you would just take one and hold one, and then I'll lead us to, to take that bread together and to eat together. And then we'll pass out the cups and if you'll just take one and hold it, and we'll take the cup together, um, and we'll close with our, our prayer song that we close with on communion. But I wanna hand down the tradition that was handed down to us by people who weren't only self-focused, but who passed that tradition on to others and passed it down to us. 
that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke and gave thanks, saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.